And if I may, just in this opening moment, uh, again, express my thanksgiving for this assembly, for this weekend, for these dear brothers, and some of them have wives that have labored and put this program together. An awful lot of work to do something of this size. A, a very careful consideration in the choosing of topics and then breaking those down into some of these titles and areas of discussion. And then they have to choose someone to speak on these themes. And God certainly did bless them. I also am deeply blessed with the spirit of worship in this place. And uh, an encouragement to, to have all of you here with us on this morning. Uh, one of the important features of Kingdom Fellowship Weekend is the prayer time, the time spent in prayer, and the time spent praying together, and the time spent praying in one accord, and the time spent learning from each other in prayer, and the time spent learning how to have fellowship in that time of prayer together. It's one of the, uh, it's one of the reasons why it's one of the reasons why some of us come here, <laughs> that time of prayer. And we thank God, too, for the messages. So I want to thank again the, the brothers and sisters and those who have prepared this campground and those who provided this campground for us and the congregations and local ones who have uh, so fittingly contributed to this meeting. May God bless all of you who are participants here. It says here, the revealed person of the word. After a series of discussions and topics and messages concerning the word of God, we have here the revealed person of the word. And I guess you could linguistically look at that title two ways. You could probably consider it to mean that this person came and revealed the Word. And you could take it to mean that the uh, that the person of the Word is being revealed. And it makes me think of that old saying that you Bible students have learned long ago that the new is in the old contained and the old is in the new explained or the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. And I did not have an Old Testament in my Bible until I discovered that Jesus Christ was was in there all over the place from the very beginning, from the very first words of the Bible through, throughout to the end of Malachi, that Jesus was in there. And until I discovered that in my Bible, I did not have an Old Testament. It did not make sense to me. It was not a meaningful, life-giving, river-flowing portion of Scripture to me until I discovered that. The revealed person of the Word... And I think the true application or meaning of this title is in both senses that is true. That the Word reveals the Son of God, the person, Jesus Christ, and He also reveals the Word. And we want to see that this morning. And if you uh, will allow me, we're, we're kind of heavy on inspiration here in Kingdom Fellowship Weekend. And I'm going to just have to ask you to uh, put things in reverse just a minute. We're going to go doctrinally for a while. Because I have come to understand that until we have a doctrinal foundation of God's word, things can be pretty superfluous. And I want to be taking you on a theological journey this morning into the study of the Bible just a little bit. We won't stay there. It will end up on a very, very practical note. But we want to begin with uh, with the teachings of God's word. We have in this mes message uh, what the Bible itself calls the mystery of the incarnation. And you might wonder where that's called a mystery, and, and I can show it to you in, it's not, it's not the text, this is introductory. And so I'm not even going to ask you to turn to it, because just keep your attention to what I'm saying, and then you get this foundation, so then the scriptures begin to open up to us. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now those of you, there are those of you here that know more about a Greek text than I do, but our Spanish Bible does not say that. 
It says, great is the, great is the mystery of piedad. Or the diedad. Or of the deity. Great is the mystery of the Godhead. Great is the mystery of God. It's a great mystery, God. It is a great mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. That is revealed in the flesh. The word manifest here and revealed is the same word. Manifest in the flesh. That's his incarnation. It's a mystery. He was justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up into glory. The mystery of God. The mystery of the Godhead. We tend to think of God from our perspective, looking at things the way we look at it, we tend to think of the Godhead as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's right for us to think of God that way. We go to the Jordan River, the Jordan Baptism, and see Jesus there ascending from the water. So there He comes out of the water, climbing up the river bank. And we hear His Father's voice from heaven. And we see the Spirit descending as a dove and lighting upon Him. And we say, there it is. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so it was. Yet this is, right here before us, the mystery of Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And there was something before all this happened. Before this mystery of the incarnation took place. Before Christ took upon Him flesh. Before the Word was made flesh. Let's go back there. There the scene will be different. And there we have the eternal and the celestial glory which Isaiah saw. Which Ezekiel saw. Somewhat a different picture. He didn't see a man crawling out of the, climbing out of the water up the bank. He didn't see a dove descend. There was something different to be seen there. Again, it's introductory. But we have these words in, in the Bible. And these words explain to us what from eternity was the Godhead. It says here, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That's the eternal name for Jesus. The Word of God. The Word of God. And someone told us yesterday that in the first verse of that chronological Bible, the first thing we read in there is this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's right in the very, very beginning. That gets us as close to the beginning as we can get. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning there was not a babe in a manger. In the beginning there was not a virgin that shall conceive. In the beginning there was not Emmanuel. In the beginning thou shalt not call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And this eternal name of God, this eternal name of our Lord Jesus, is Logos. And we see that several times in the Bible. And I think someone read that to us yesterday. From Revelation 19, verse 13. We had his vesture there dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. And that's in capital letters there. The Word of God. The Logos of God. What does this mean? And and, uh, when we teach school, we, we have children there in the classroom. And we teach them reading lessons. And we teach them to read. And for the first three years in the schoolroom, we, we only give those children words to read that are already part of what we call their meaning vocabulary. And so we don't, at that early, early time, try to put a bunch of words in there that they never heard of or were not related to their life and they don't know what it means. And though they might be able to pronounce it, they have no meaning for it. And though they may have heard it somewhere, they can't apply it to their own life. And so we use this word logos. It is not part of our meaning vocabulary. And before I go any further in this message, I should try to help you get some kind of a meaning of this word logos. And, and Brother Joel, if you come up here and help me to do that. <laughs> uh, but get this logos into our minds. 
But I'm just going to give you a layman's view of it and, and hope that it's of help to you. This word logos, the logos of God, the word of God. You see this W-O-R-D we have here in 1st John chapter 1 and in John, the gospel of John chapter 1 in, a, in, in Revelation 19. The, this word with the capital letter there is logos. The logos of God. The manifestation of the glory and the power of God expressed in word. You know, we say a lot of words that made no sense. We say a lot of words we would wish we never would have said after we said them. We say many words that melt to nothing. We say many words that would be better left unsaid. We say many words that contribute nothing to the person that hears them. We say many words that have no power. We say many words that have no authority. We say many words that bring no glory to anyone, certainly not to God. We, many, maybe to ourselves. We say many words. We are people of words. But, but, but God is choice with His Word. And, and when God speaks, and He can go for long periods of time without speaking. But if He ever opens His mouth, if He ever speaks, if He ever utters His voice, if God speaks, it's Logos. And that Word is eternal, and that Word is powerful, and that Word is beautiful, and that Word has majesty, and that Word has authority. And that word accomplishes that which he pleases and prospers in the thing whereto he sends it. It's a powerful word when it goes out of his mouth. The eternal thought. Imagine these words. The eternal thought of omnipotence. Spoken in perfection and sovereignty. Logos. That beautiful hymn, Great God, How Infinite Thou Art. The author says in there that thine eternal thought, thy eternal thought moves on thine undisturbed affairs. It's a tremendous phrase for contemplation. The the, the thought of God, the thought of the Father God, The thought of the Creator God. The thought of the Savior God. The thought of the Eternal God. And then this thought finds expression. This this thought turns into an expression that goes out from God and goes out into all eternity. And as it goes out into all eternity, it works the works of God. And everything that God planned or desired or designed and accomplished and accomplished and accomplished what He did. And it's that word that goes forth. That word is logos. Spoken in creation. Never returning void to God. Accomplishing that which He pleases. Prospering the thing whereto He sends it. This is logos. And that's why we have these words in Scripture. See that ye refuse Him not that speaketh. Can you imagine resisting this word? This word goes out from God. And we resist it. Or we laugh at it. Or we... Take a penknife and cut the pages out. The pages we don't want. And we throw them away. And, and refuse not him that speaketh. That's what the Bible says. That's logos. And how much of this can we do without? What part of this do we choose to ignore? And so we're talking about a very deep subject here. And when God speaks, this eternal thought, this perfection of the sovereignty of God. And, and this thought turns into expression. And this expression goes out across eternity. And God never needs to repeat it. He doesn't need to say it twice. How many times do you speak to your children? Learn to get them to respond the first time you say it. That is, if they understood you. If you have the assurance that they understood you... They should have obeyed you the first time you said it. You shouldn't have to raise your voice to get them to say it, to get them to do it. You shouldn't have to uh, make threatenings. You should not ever do that to your children. You shouldn't ever do that to your church members. You shouldn't ever do that to a school student. Ever make threatenings to a child. 
Don't threaten. Say it. And let the children learn that you mean what you said. Let the members of the congregation know that you meant what you said. And you were careful when you said it. And if you weren't careful when you said it, then confess that. And make that right to the congregation. I suppose in the last two or three years of my ministry, if God has impressed anything upon my heart, it's the fact that I have been too careless with my words. And when I think of this word logos, and that's the revealed person of the logos, when we think of this subject, we're talking about words. This whole theme all weekend was about words. And it all comes down to one word. After all, there's only one word. There's only one logos. And though that word ends with an S in Greek, it's not plural. We have Spanish nouns that end in S, they're not plural. There's one word. And God does not need to repay it. Nor does He ever need to improve it. Because the law of the Lord is perfect. You can't improve something that's perfect. You don't need to go back later and change it to make some kind of adjustment or modify for the times or the conditions we're living in. It doesn't ever change. Because it's perfect. God doesn't need to do a revision on it. He doesn't need to do an update. The word's eternal. It's perfect. It's logos. I wish we would get this. I'm trying to give you a meaning vocabulary of the word logos. Are you getting it? You need to understand what logos is. And when God speaks, it's with all authority. And it's in perfect holiness. Can you imagine it? Holy words. Holy words. And uh, if, if you and I could be known for that, if you and I could be known for that, Brother Joe, holy words. And we write a lot of emails. We talk a lot on the telephone. Many words pass through our pencils, through our, through our teclas, and through our lips. Holy words. The voice of him that spoke. God spoke. The logos of God. And then this great mystery, this, this, this whole concept, this whole, this whole part of God, I can't, that's a poor expression because God has no parts. But this, this manifest evidence of God that comes forth through His Word, through His spoken heart, a great miracle happened. A great miracle happened in history. And that mystery was made manifest. The ministry was revealed. That word revealed means uncovered or unveiled. And some of you people know what the, 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 the Greek word for veiling is. To veil. To, to, to veil the head. To veil. And, and the, the word revealed is just the opposite. To just, just to put the opposite in front of the word veil and unveil. And, it, and this was veiled. This, this, this logos was veiled. Somehow another, this perfect law of God was veiled. Somehow this tiny eye message was veiled. Somehow these words have went out across and created stars and Jupiters and moons. Even so it was veiled. And even so when we look at it, and there it is in the night sky, brilliantly shining upon Pariso and Marseilla. It's veiled. And the, and the stars speak a tremendous message, but silently not a word is heard. And yet they speak. But there, there's something there to be heard if we listen. And native Indians and the indigenous peoples of America and of South America and Central America looked up there and saw all that. But there was veil. And they didn't know what it was and they could not relate to it. And it was, it was not for them. It was nothing personal. And it was far away and it was beyond them and the thunders rattled and the earth shook and earthquakes took place and the fire came out of the tops of the mountains. And it was veiled what's going on. And they begin to worship these, these elements that are taking place here, the waters and the fire. And 
And then this mystery was unveiled. It was there all the time. Now I want to take you to several texts in the Bible. And here's where we start. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 5. And we could read verses 3 through 5. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. We just sang that hymn today. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Notice what that says in verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, unveiled, manifest, uncovered, brought into full view. So that you can see it and understand what you're looking at. My wife just had a cataract operation in her right eye. She's not been able to see in that eye anything clearly for a long time. Wearing glasses doesn't help it. It doesn't improve your vision. She got this cataract operation done. She said, Daddy, I can't understand it. I look at you with a white shirt on. The white shirt is so brilliant it almost, it almost blinds me. But with my other eye that's been my good eye all this time, your shirt looks yellow. But you can't imagine how bright your shirt is with this eye that was operated on. And she has no guessing about what she's looking at. She can see exactly and clearly. And when this is revealed to us, when the glory of the Lord is revealed and all flesh can see it together, what a day. What a day we have here. And this, this, this is a, a revealing that continues on through time. There's more yet to this than what has happened so far. I go to Isaiah 53. In this, in this same book here. Such a beautiful verse here at the very beginning. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And that, that same verse is quoted in John in chapter 56 of the same Isaiah, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Let's go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 this time. In verse 14, and though much could be read here, it says the word was made flesh. The same word he spoke about there in those first unopening verses. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when you read this verse, you, 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 you have to go on a seesaw. You're not quite sure what glory He's talking about. Is this the glory of God, the glory of the Son? What, which glory is this? And we beheld His glory. And what is the antecedent of the pronoun His? And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we see this glory there. In one of the most important books I've read. Uh, it was titled, The Moral Glory of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot read very many pages of that book without seeing the utter limitation and weakness and coldness of our hearts. When we compare it with the moral glory of our Lord. And the celestial glory of our Lord. And the power of His life. And the beauty and the majesty of His person. And this was revealed. The Logos was made flesh. The Word of God in a manger. Once you get that thought, get that picture. And uh, I suppose you Bible scholars here know what the first promise in the New Testament is. You don't have to read it in the New Testament very far to find it. It's the first chapter of Matthew. It's in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Logos. Saving his people from their sins. The eternal glory of God, the revealed majesty of high, the expressed image of His person, the brightness of His glory, saving His people from their sins. 
saving you and I from our sins. You know, if we cannot quit this sin business, as the brother said last night, there's a, among the many reasons for that, one of them would be this. We have not seen the glory of the Lord. It has not been revealed to us. The glory of God has not been revealed to us. We see others. We might see good people. We might see moral people. We might see uh, what we call heroes of faith. We might see the the, uh, spiritual ones in the congregation. We might see the neighbors around us. We might see uh, and compare ourselves with, with, with wherever we feel we ought to stand in this whole rank and file of people. But we don't see God. And you see, our standard is, 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 is this. Our standard is this righteousness. Our standard is this glory. Our standard is this majesty on high. Our standard is this. These words. This commitment. This consecration. Our standard is this. And here he is in a manger. And what did the voice of God say? From the Mount of Transfiguration. And you will observe this, that for the years that our Lord Jesus was on this earth, we hear very little of the voice of God. And I think I maybe could tell you about how many times that voice comes through in the time our Lord Jesus was here on the earth. He spoke very little, God did, the Father. But one time he said this. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased Hear ye him. Why? Because he is Logos. And if I'm speaking, I'm speaking through him. And he will give the word. He is the Logos of God. He is the expression of my glory. He is the unveiled eternal thought of a holy God for his people. Hear him. And Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke as no other man spake and with authority that no one else had. Why? Because he's Logos. Those words were holy. Those words were of God. Those words were anointed words that Jesus spoke. You see, there's no divine revelation apart from the life and ministry and spirit of the Anointed One, our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Logos living, the living Word. And we have a beautiful hymn that has these precious words lined in it. But in thy life, referring to Jesus' life, but in thy life the law appears revealed in living characters. Now we ask a question here. Break into this somewhat, if you would please forgive it, that theological introduction on a very elementary level. But at least we got a little feel for it. We then got a feel for this word, a meaning vocabulary of the word logos. Why was this revelation of logos necessary? Why do we need a revealed person of the word? Why must the word be made flesh? Why must the word be made living? Why do we need this living character? Why do we need to see beyond the sacred page and find Him who is holy speaking to us? Why do we need that? Why did the world always need that? Because God had already spoken. God had already spoken, as the brother said, on Saturday morning in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Why anymore? And we have that in Romans chapter 1 there. Without excuse, they can see the eternal power and Godhead. Imagine that. By, by, by looking up here and seeing this. Now, this will take us back to where we were two years ago, Kingdom Fellowship Weekend. But I'm just going to take you back here and, and make a connection. And then we're going to come over here. And we're going to not forget about this. But we're going to come over here and make a connection and come back over here. Over here. The eternal Godhead. Why do you expect that, that the Roman writer, that Paul th- thought, by inspiration, that we could understand the Godhead by looking at the things that were created. Now I want to give you this thought. Wherever something holy is done, something of eternal consequence, something of great holiness, 
something of great and moving power, something of a demonstration of the perfections, you always have unity. There's always unity. It didn't happen. There's always unity. And so it is in the church. Show me a beautiful meeting. Show me a beautiful work of God being raised up. Show me problems being solved. Show me a church moving forward. Show me where there is an advancement for the kingdom of God. Show me where people are stepping out into something new. The work is going forward. And there's unity there. It's not happening. It will soon fall flat. It will soon, if, if money's doing it, it won't work. If organization's doing it, it will not last. But if God is doing it through unity of the church, it will have, it would have beautiful consequences. Now we'll just leave that right there and come back to it later. And then after we had creation, God brought logos forth again. In a different way, there was, there was a man that cut out two tables of stone. He walked up top of a mountain that was shaking and was, there was fire up there and a finger of God began to write. And now we have this thing beginning, beginning to write down there. And he had several points on those tables of stone. And we have logos there. And it says, thou shalt not. And we're in Sinai. And there's a burning and a tempest and an earthquake and fire and there's trembling and quaking. You think, surely people are finding out what God is like. And, and, and lest anyone come close there, they'll be thrust with a dart set a limit. And, and limit yourself to this uh, refi- confined area here. And then God spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets through divine inspiration and gave the scriptures. And we have God's word written. We have logos on a scroll. But who hath believed our report? They opened up those scrolls and read. And after they opened those scrolls and read, they said, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. And what, did they, what had they done with the logos? What had they done with this? It was all written there. The, the whole new was in this old concealed. It was all in there. And they read. And they made broad their phylacteries. They, they read. But the glory of the Lord was not, was not revealed. It was not revealed. And God said, the heart of this people is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. And so it was that God had a holy purpose to reveal His Word, His Logos, in the form of a person. And John the Baptist saw Him coming. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And all those people knew what a Lamb meant. They knew what the Lamb was for. Behold the Lamb of God. Now let's just do a quick Bible study here. Hebrews chapter 1. Why did God reveal the Son? Why was there an unveiling of the Logos? Why do we have a revealed person of the Word? Why He was revealed to show us what God the Father is like. Hebrews 1. God who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's in the Scriptures. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That takes us all the way back to the first verse of the first chapter of the Bible, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, to show us what the Father's like. Why was the Logos revealed? To show us the will of the Father. Look up at those stars. And you see order. And that's what Pachacutec said. When although his ancients there in the Incas worshipped the, the sun for, for, for years. Pachacutec studied the sun. And he said the sun is not a god. The sun is not god. The night Inca. The sun is not god. And he called several of the priests into the Corecancha there in Cusco. 
And that was the temple dedicated to the worship of the sun. And in that temple, there's a big gold disc. A big uh, a, a disc shaped in a uh, concave form. Circular disc. And when the sun reached high noon zenith, that, that Cory Concha was just blazingly aglow with light that you could hardly stand to look at with your eyes. That's where they worship the sun. He says, it's not a sun. He said, something moves the sun. The sun doesn't move by itself because it has to do the same thing every time. It always goes to the same place. And he said, that sun has no choice. The moon can come between the earth and the sun and block out all its light. If it was God, it wouldn't happen. He said, something else is controlling that sun. And so, we have to look beyond stars and sun and moon and creation and trees and rivers to find the will of God. The will of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10, you're still there in your Bible, verse 7. And the Logos came in a manger and grew up among men to reveal to us the will of the Father. Hebrews 10, 7. Then, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's why I'm here, to do thy will. And so since that was the express purpose for his coming, we, we can count on it that everything he did was the will of God. If he said it, it was the will of God. If he acted, it was the will of God. If he allowed her to pour her tears over his feet, it was the will of God. If he laid hands on them and healed them, if he parted that bread and gave thanks and blessed it and and gave it. It was the will of God. If he said it, it was the will of God. He came to do the will of God. And all you need to do with your people today to do the will of God in your life is look at this noble life and be like he is. Wherever you go. The will of God. Came to reveal it. He came to reveal the perfect sacrifice. Make a perfect sacrifice for sin. Revealed to do that. In chapter 9, look at verse 8 of that same Hebrews. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them. Until the time of reformation. Until the time of revelation. Until the word was made flesh. Until a baby was born. Until one hung on the cross. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now notice what it says. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Revealed to make a perfect sacrifice for sin. Revealed to establish a new covenant. Chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But for finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, and they with that I, I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. We could read further there, but I think we'll leave it there. And that same set of thoughts is repeated then again in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Revealed to establish a new covenant. And we see that in Jesus. Jesus did not need to run over to the Torah. I don't know how you say that in Hebrew. Torah, is that the right word? Torah, Torah thank you. And he didn't need to run over there. Or the Mishnah, what's that? Ask many. Is that said, said right? Mishnah. He didn't run over there. He didn't have to go back to the, to the scrolls. He didn't run over there to the stones and see how it was written. Why didn't Jesus do that? 
When Jesus opened the scroll, why did he know where to go? He knew what was in there. And before it was in there, where was it? He's the Logos. And where is that word written? It's written all over him. It's written in his heart. It's written in his mind. It's written in his decisions. It's written in his will. It's written in his purpose. The will of God written all over there. That covenant is written here in our Lord Jesus. He knew what the Father's will was, came to do it, would do nothing else but what God willed. Where are the people of God living that way? And he came to establish this new covenant. And that's what this new covenant is. Why was the Logos revealed? Revealed that we may be one with the Father. And every one of these steps takes us deeper. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning. Remember that we might be one with the Father. You and I be one with the Father. The, the person with sins here to, today, one with the Father. These people making decisions at the crossroad of life, one with the Father. Those looking for peace in your heart about decisions you need to make, one with the Father. Why don't you let the Father take care of that? Why don't you put that into the Father's care? Why, why don't you take that and put it on the altar? Why don't you let fire come down from heaven and consume that sacrifice? Why don't you let God make the final decision? Why don't you leave that in the hands of God? One with God. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. See, that's the living word, the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Fellowship with God. And if you noticed it there in verse 3, and you notice again in verse 7, That no one has fellowship with God who does not have fellowship with others. And our oneness with God is measured. Our oneness with God is measured. It's, it's equated with our fellowship with others. And why was the Son revealed? For God so loved the world that he revealed the Logos, that he manifested his Son, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now we have another question to answer yet this morning. What do we learn from the revealed person of the Word? What do we learn? And he tells us, he says, come and learn of me. What do we learn? The very first call of Jesus that he made early in his ministry were these words, come and follow me, or sometimes simply follow me. And those who obeyed that call and accepted that call, they made a decision. They made a decision to rise up and to leave. They made a decision to leave something behind and go to something new. They made a decision to cut off something in the past, unite themselves with something different. They made a decision to step out by faith. They didn't know where they were going. They made a decision to put something behind them. Look for something new before them. It was a decision that they made. Come and learn of me. And then there's a second call of Jesus. Abide in me. Big difference. And we are amazed by what he does. We're amazed by what he says. We're fascinated. I, I could just see James and John. Those, those must have been the naughtiest disciples Jesus had. They must have been a mess, sons of thunder. Can you imagine what they were like? They must have been like two heisey boys. <laughs> With a little bit of Martin mixed in. And can you imagine as he would do something and these boys would, look at that, look what he did, look at that. 
Some of you have heard of Pastor Jack Hiles. And uh, my oldest son and I went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee one time to hear him preach. And we were sitting towards the back of this large auditorium. I think it held 6,000 people. We were sitting someplace two-thirds of the way back. And right in front of us was a row of teenage girls. And they were sitting in the front. And, and Jack was up there. And he turned the microphone into a, a rifle or something. And he was doing his things like he always does when he preaches. And these girls were sitting in front of me here. And, and he was preaching from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And my heart was heavy for that text and I was needing those words and I was searching in my own life in those days for how to apply that in a practical way to myself. I was sitting there hanging on every word he was saying. These girls were jumping him down their seats and saying, look at him, look at him, look what he's doing, look at that, look at that, look at that. And, and I was sitting right behind them and I had tears going down my cheeks. And so you can follow Jesus and you can see all these activities and see these actions and hear his words and see what he's doing. And you can be impressed with it in all kinds of ways. But Jesus said, don't follow me afar off. Don't look at me and study me and try, and, and try to copy. Abide in me. Lose yourself. Come on in here. Let's be one. Let's be one together. And then he, we find a very interesting phrase in the Bible several times in the New Testament. That the word of God abides in us. The logos abiding in us. And we abiding in him. And we abiding in the logos. In the logos. Choosing to abide here. In us. So that as he was one with the father. We might be one with the father. And as the father the Godhead was one. So God's people in this earth might be one. He came to do His Father's will, to speak the Father's word, and to do the Father's work. And, and I really should show you that just very briefly in John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He, the Logos. That I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And you stop right there. And if your family would discover that truth about you from this day forward, that, that what God has given you to say, that's what you say. And we wait, and when we have a word from the Lord, we speak it. And we God puts it in our hearts, a word of scripture, a word of truth. A word appropriate for the hour. Then we say it. And we have our head bowed. And why is our head bowed? We're listening. What's our head bowed for? We're quiet. What's our head bowed for? We're listening to see what God says here. And when we hear it, then we say it. My father taught me, I speak these things. And he that hath, and he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. And when he said that, many believed on him because they knew it was true. That's not true of me. I wish it was true of me. I wish it would be more true of me when I leave here than it was when I came here. That what we do is what pleases the Father. Now, I could, uh, I don't know that little boy's name there. He's sitting on that third bench. That little boy looks to me like he's three or four years old. And uh, I don't know where his mother is. But if I bring that little three, year, three or four year old boy up here, you, you get this, and stand him here and say to him, uh, Sonny, what is your name? He says, I'm Brian. I say, Brian, would your mother want you to, and then I finish the sentence. He says, no, Brother Dale, no, Mother Dale, one time. Well, well, how do you know she doesn't want it? Uh, did, did she, uh, did she read that to you and uh, did, she, did she write that down and give it to you and study it? And that was point number two and Mother doesn't want that? And I could ask, ask him, uh, would your mother like it if you did this? And he says, yes, Mother, that would please Mom if I did that. 
And that little three-year-old boy knows that. And we ought to know that about our Heavenly Father. Jesus knew that about His Heavenly Father from very young. He knew the things that pleased Him. Help me to do the thing that pleaseth Thee. And the Bible tells us prophetically that, that the, the, the Lord God opened the ear of Jesus, awakened his ear morning by morning, awakened his ear, and then gave him the tongue of the learned. And what God had put into his ear, what, God, what he had heard from the Lord, he went out and spoke that and did that. That's why he lived. And we learned that from the revealed person of the word. He was a voluntary slave. He left his heavenly father, take him to the post and open his ear with a, an all there. And tells him that passage that sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. That says there in the in the in the old record in Psalm forty, mine ear hast thou opened. And that doesn't mean that I was deaf and now I hear. It means that the, this ear was my choice, and I had him open it. And voluntarily I chose to come to this earth to do Thy will, O God. And Jesus did that, so we learned to do it. That's why He did it. We have a noble life here. Of sorrow and love flowing mingled down. We see humility and suffering. We see tender compassion mixed with gracious words. We see tireless service and sacrificial giving and living. We see divine wisdom mixed with white hot truth in this Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, this Logos that comes from heaven. But where do we find this Logos? Behold the Logos of God, wet with dew, early in the morning, out in prayer with His Father. What a life. What an example. What a holy law. What a miracle of love. What manner of man is this? So He chooses twelve men. He tells us in Mark 3 that they would be with Him. Why? To see the revealed glory. And learn that someday, when I go, I leave you to do what is still undone. In Papua New Guinea, in Musawas, Nicaragua, in Iscuchaca, Peru, and wherever it is, get this Work done that I have started. That we may be like Him. Now are we the sons of God. And now we have the nature of God. And now we have the Holy Spirit of God. For Galatians 4, 6 tells us that He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of the Son into our hearts. Can you imagine that? And, and so we stand before the people. And as Jesus had the Spirit of God that anointing upon Him, we have the same Spirit of our Lord Christ upon us. It's the same Spirit of God. There is only one Spirit. Ephesians tells us, For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And that is the standard. And as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you, as I, so you. That's what we learn from the revealed person of the word. But why? That the world may know. That the world may believe. That the word was made flesh in Dillsburg, or in Costa Rica. Or in the ends of the earth, wherever you and I find yourselves. Somebody said Lancaster County. That the world would know. And the world would believe. But why don't we surrender our pride. And self-will. And all that resists the knowledge of God. So we can have logos. In our hearts. Now I told you I was going to be practical. And so far I have not been. Now is the time. And don't forget what you've heard as you listen to this little story. We uh, try to make a living in Costa Rica. We have a little dairy farm. 
And I'm hardly ever there, so I can't take care of it. And we have a partner. I have a partner. He's not an employee. He's not a peon. He's a partner with me. And he has cows in the herd, and I have cows there. And he takes care of it. And we kind of divide the the profits that the dairy farm makes. And take, that way can take care of the needs of two families. But we had a series of problems in that dairy farm. We had an earthquake that did us a lot of damage there. And we're still trying to recover from that. And I think we're getting along all right. But that earthquake was really hard on the family that's working with us. They felt part responsible for it. Actually, they did have a part to play in how that turned out. There was some negligence there and pretty serious consequence. cost many thousands of dollars. From that time on, there was kind of a less interest in the project. And this went on and deteriorated, deteriorated until this began affecting feelings and words that were said. And then someone just made a mistake one day and took a bucket that had some fertilizer in it that was used to fertilize the field and put feed in that bucket and fed it to the cows and four more cows died. You can't feed fertilizer to a cow. And then that made tensions more severe. And then there was some inclement weather because there had not been some proper treatments given on parasites and things like that. Four more animals died because of the inclement weather. And the animals were not up in health. Their health care was not taken care of. And this whole thing is going down, down, down. And how many mistakes I was making in this whole experience, I don't know. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But they started telling other people in the congregation, other people in the community, that they've got to get off this farm. They're sick and tired of working here. They, don't, they had a lot of reports to share, and, and my name wasn't very good. And I know that what happened was they were feeling inferior and feeling incompetent and comparing themselves to the gringo. This thing was going down. And as brethren in the congregation heard some of these comments that they were making, two of them came to me and said, Brother Dale, you've got to get that family off of your farm as soon as possible. They cannot work for you one more day. And I had this answer for that comment. Brother, I know why you say that. But Jesus wants it to be healed. Jesus would like this thing to work out. So this very brother and his family continue on here and we fix this. We heal it. So there's acceptance and appreciation and renewed respect. That is my heart. Of course, I was told that won't happen. And then this problem on the farm moved into the church. And after a meeting we had on a Thursday evening, a brother came to me as I was pulling out of there, out of the church parking lot. He said, Brother Dale, I'm sorry to tell you, but your ministry in this church is over as of tonight. You are finished in our congregation. And two very heavy hearts went home that night to bed, my wife and I. And we have a farm that's in bad shape and we have a church. And then that that escalated and that grew and that started making sides and and that is the uh, that is the anatomy of a church split if you ever saw one that's the way it happens all over Pennsylvania all over the states all over the place and I decided at that very moment something drastic must be done to solve these problems. And I asked the congregation to agree to bring some brethren in among us, and I had a meeting with those brethren, and I told them, I'd like you to investigate this problem, but I want you to do one thing, promise me one thing. Find out what the sheep have to say, listen to every member of the congregation, visit every one of them. But I don't want you to correct, I don't want you to find fault with, I don't want you to point up errors in anybody in the church. Just come to me when you're done, and show me what you see in me. And deal with anything in my life 
And I want all of them to know that whatever you have to say about me, that's the way it's going to be. And you just listen to them, but correct me. There must be something wrong here. If I was as lowly as I should be, if I was saying what I should say, something different should be going on here. And I want to find that place. You help me to find that place. And so we had a situation there where we needed to rent out our farm. I was, I'm no longer capable of, with the time and everything, to take care of it and manage it. And so I decided to rent it out to somebody else. I went to this brother that was been working with us for the last four years, asked him if he'd like to rent the farm. He said, no way. No way. So I began to look in the community, found a man that would like to have rented the, the farm, was very glad to do it, came to see me, offered his help. In the meantime, these brethren are checking out things with, with us and visiting our members and coming back and have some meetings with me. We did have a series of confessions in the congregation. On Wednesday night, a sister stood up and uh, confessed what she, the damage she was doing with her mouth in her home and in the church. Other confessions. A couple days later, this dear brother came to me and he said, Brother Dale, I wonder if it's too late. Would you still be willing to rent the farm to us? I said, yes, brother. Let's sit down and talk about it. Tell you what you do. Go home, talk to your wife. Get a piece of paper. Write down all the things you'd like to see in this farm rental contract. Anything you'd like to see, put in there, you write it down. You bring it to me and we'll, we'll work it out. brother came back to me after several visits and several members meetings and said, Brother Dale, uh, the congregation decided they cannot do without their pastor and they want you to continue on with the responsibilities that you've always had. And you, uh, it was unanimous. Everyone asked that you stay and keep serving us in the church. It's that very family that was ready to leave and speaking strong words against the little economic opportunity they had there, they have now rented the farm from my wife and I. Now, I think that's just a very probably human and weak and limited example of what Logos does when it lives in our hearts. When it comes with its freshness, when it's revealed, we can humble ourselves in our pride and look at the glory of God. And instead of looking at the weaknesses and needs of others, we can see their benefits and beauties and glories and we look at our own limitations, our own needs, our own failures. If we strict and critical with ourselves and very, very liberal and gracious with others, that's what I learned from the Lamb of God. And you're struggling here this morning and you have needs in your churches at home, you have needs in your families and in your marriages. All three of those problems are represented here. The young people that are struggling with their parents, struggling with your future decisions. And God's word, word abides in you. The Logos abides in you and you abide in Him. And come and learn of me. And that very nature and sweetness and that very miracle of grace and those gracious words and that wisdom of the Lord that so characterized His holy and beautiful and simple life it's all for us every day we ask for it, every day we need it. Every day we draw near, every day we abide, every day we refuse to go forward without having received it. It's a life of faith. It's a life of abiding. It's a life of believing. It's a life of knowing that as He is, so are we in this world. And what He came here to do, we came here to do. 
we haven't had a church service since this happened without unconverted neighbors coming to the church service like we haven't had for a long time in our community. By this shall the world know. And how else do you expect the world to believe? We keep splitting and dividing and pointing our fingers at each other. And the other person's the one that's wrong. It might be the other person is wrong, dear brother, sister, but if there's a estrangement between you and another person, you have something to do with that. And the word was made flesh. And I and the Father am one. And Father, that they would be one as we are. And how can we divide from our brethren? And how can we give the bill of divorcement? And how can we say, get off this farm and go over there and work for somebody else? You've done enough damage around here. Is that the way to solve it? And find another place to go to church. And leave one more broken record behind. And one more devastated example of Zion with Ichabod written across the door. And so my dear people this morning, I'm calling us to behold him, the revealed and unveiled. Let it be revealed here because the world doesn't read this record. The world reads this record. The world gets it from here and not from here. And today we are the revealed persons of the word. In wherever part of the country where you live, God has called you, your church, your family, your community, your congregational witness to be the revealed light of the word wherever you are. And we have the holy opportunity to do so much good for our God. Would you please accept him into your heart and life and recognize where Christ was not followed and where his glory was not revealed and where pridefulness and division and a party spirit destroyed the body and destroyed the marriage and destroyed the children. Let us humble ourselves before God today.